It is life just devouring life. It's so in love with itself. It's one big organism and it just continually consumes part of itself to create more life. Nature is like creativity right before your eyes. And so I no longer saw it as good and evil or life and death. It all just became very natural. It's all life flowing into life. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 95, The Jewel in the Ashes, a Beacon Series conversation featuring Robin Easton, author of Naked in Eden, My Adventure and Awakening in the Australian Rainforest. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. Finding the right words to introduce my guest for this episode isn't difficult. In fact, as I sat and meditated on our conversation, waiting for sweet, descriptive honey to drip from my mind to my lips, the most simple words I've ever used to frame any guest of Find the Good News came to mind. Robin Easton, my dear human sister that you are about to meet, is the human embodiment of a radiant, glowing, sacred heart. Every single conversation I've had on Find the Good News has blessed me in some way. I've gained new perspectives, found clarity in my existing paradigms, and watched as clunky ideas and forms of reasoning were turned to ash, fertile soil for fresh spiritual fruits. In this very intimate conversation with Robin Easton, author of Naked in Eden, My Adventure and Awakening in the Australian Rainforest, I listened anew as we traveled each of these cycles for several revolutions. Through this show, I have made many new and diverse relationships all across the world, meeting people living lives of goodness that I'd never dreamed of connecting with. In traversing these intermingled online circles, I met Robin, and it was clear from the jump that she was a generous communicator with a willingness to pour out love and prose like a living fountain. Nature seemed to create a common bond between us, And it was through this thread that I learned about her book, Naked in Eden, a very personal memoir of our spiritual awakening in the Australian rainforest. I purchased the book and was mesmerized by the rich detail and palpable way she shared the entire experience. This book and Robin's special gift of revealing her naked spiritual heart drew me in alongside her as she experiences an integration with the natural world that so few of us shackled to our cities could ever experience. When Robin agreed to visit with me on Find the Good News, I was thrilled. Once technology made it possible for us to connect, her good heart shimmered like a multifaceted jewel. I believe Robin is walking the path of the Bodhisattva, a giver, a true lamp for those desiring light. It is my great hope that you will feel what I felt in speaking with her, that you will hear the elemental outpouring of love in her voice a love that comes from a human heart that is ready to embrace the entire world. Now, it's time to loosen your grip on what you think you know, clear your mind of preconceived notions, open your heart as far as you are able, then tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning, dreaming up the story I can way it's going, cause you laugh and in your sleep, on the path to your deliverance, and a holy ball of light, through your window, old news, bad news, 
fake news, sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. I mean, he is on to something no one else is doing. And I don't mean just the good news part there. You know, like you say in the interview, there are other people out there kind of looking and sharing good news. But you have a very organic approach that is like when you were talking about tears and allowing more time and and kind of and there is a lot of pressure in can be online and any I suppose profession will have to keep it so many minutes and do your intro right. there's the format follow the format and, right. and you'll be and it's like for me excuse my French but it's like how bells I've ditched the format long ago exactly you know, I god I agree with that a hundred percent I mean People want a structure, I guess, with a show. I mean, if you call it a show, people want a structure so they can identify it. But to some degree, I mean, right. if you're setting up these boundaries, you know, folks are just going to clam up and they're not going to get into that territory that we all need to get into, you know, really dig around. Do you know, you are so right. I thought, in fact, you saying that reminded me of one of the the feelings and thoughts I had, which was, Oren, you are pro- offering, not prov- well, providing, but it's deeper. You're offering a living experience that if people want to step into it and actually experience life right there with you, they get to do that. Wow. That is so huge. I mean, so I mean, I've done a lot of interviews, and I mean, I always am grateful and appreciate it, and learn something and share. But I've never seen anyone offering what you're offering, and wow. I just I thought I gotta, I gotta go in, and I mean, I gotta give the reaction to Orin that. Excuse me for saying it this way, but he, that he should have had then, <laughs> you know, when he did the interview. I mean, it's not to, you know, put anyone else down, but it's just like, my God, this is brilliant. Are you living in the United States right now, or are you in another? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm in the U.S. in New Mexico. Oh, okay, New Mexico. Okay. Yeah, That's I'm a... about a half hour north of San Santa Fe, where I, I live for about what, 
almost 25 years in Santa Fe. Okay. I love listening to um, Father Richard Rohr's podcast, and uh, he's out of New Mexico. Now, I'm not exactly sure where, but I believe that's the Center for Active Action and Contemplation or Contemplative Action. I can't exactly remember right off the top of my head. Yeah, his name sounds familiar. But yeah, he's he's definitely pushing into some of that that territory that I like to get into, you know, just trying to tear down some of the walls without forgetting the history of things, but you know, tearing down some of the barriers that between people and what they believe and what's keeping them apart from uh, a real intimacy with the divine, you know. Absolutely, you know, with each other, with the divine. I yeah. mean. I think now more than ever, that is, for me, it's just critical. It's crucial. It's almost like, why anything if I don't do that? I tell you, I, I, this is an interest. It's an interesting, this is probably going to be an interesting conversation because I started reading your book and I didn't finish it yet. And the part, because I've been, <laughs> unfortunately, We've been in the middle of a move, and so I've been kind of like segmenting my days and moving equipment and setting things up and reading and doing my own reflections in the mornings. So I'm not through with the book, but I tell you, I got to a certain stage in it where I was going, man, I'm really resonating with this. And I wonder, it's got me thinking, especially this morning, the part that I was on. And I'd love to start our conversation with this, actually, because I, I highlighted this and I said, like, God, this is so interesting. Because most people that I interview, I say, so tell me about yourself, you know, give me the the quick download of who you are. It's so hard to do. But I ask people to do that so my listeners know who I'm talking to. But this one line that you had, I thought, wow, what a great way to frame our conversation right from the beginning. And you okay. said in your book, you said, someday... Someone will ask me, what do you do for a living? And I will say, I feel. Oh, yes. I am so thrilled you picked that one. In my entire book, that just came out of me. Uh And I didn't even know it was in there till way later. Editing is like, whoa, I actually put that in. That's me. (laughs) That's me. Yeah. In a <laughs> yeah. And that you picked that line does not surprise me. Well, you know oh, why that's... I picked it? Because honestly, I, I have a I love this book so far. I can't it's an adventure for one, but I mean there's so much in there to learn from. And what I find is the camaraderie. There's certain, you know, things that you say that I it may not be like exactly my own experience, but I can relate to the way you're retelling it and go, Oh, I, I understand this feeling. I understand what she's talking about here. And when that particular line jumped out of me and it's kind of where I paused, I said, I want to stop here uh, because this is leaves some mystery for for our conversation. But also (laughs) I get this, I get this because I think this thought all the time, because I'm in advertising, you know, I I have a creative studio and, it's it's right, I well, people tend to look at advertising and think, oh, it's sort of like a, a misinformation engine. You know, it's a, a way to convince people 
to like something that maybe isn't good or a way to package something that maybe isn't great. It's all a, a sales pitch. I've never taken that right. approach in advertising. And so some there are times when I go, well, how do you juxtapose? How, how does it look when you juxtapose this maybe disingenu- this industry that's perceived as disingenuous with who I am? And when I set those things next to each other, I go, well, they don't belong together. How can I, how can I make them belong together? How can, how can I make them uh, work together? But when I read this sentence, you know, what do you do for a living? I will say, I feel, I went, oh, I get this. This is exactly what I'm talking about. It's like sort of the whole purpose of this show is to go, yeah, you, just because you work in an industry doesn't mean you can't, you have to stop feeling. You can still inject your being into that, you know? Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's funny, a while back, well, I was with, my book was published by a fairly large publisher. And then, but I wasn't, it didn't align with who I am. Mm-hmm. And the whole kind of push to market and do this and do this. And it was like, and I started I'm no longer with them. I've left and I'm I'm under my own, you know, production company now. And it is so liberating or it's like I I started that very question. This okay, I'm an author and I do I do lots of other things. I'm I'm an inspirational speaker and I'm a performer of music. I used to be a concert pianist and I've been all kinds of things, but it's, I realized, okay, this is not working. It's actually hurting my body. I'm, where Robin is back there somewhere, way back there. What happened? You know, I, I, I'm losing Robin. Yeah. The feeling. Where's the feeling? And then I just finally one day decided, I'm going to step out on a limb. I'm going to open up more with people. I'm going to show them who I am. I'm going to be who I am. I'm, and my way was always to reach out and love people. I love doing that. It's just I can't seem to stop myself. Not right. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, there's, a, there's a, a really loving, cool person. Oh, look at them. Aren't they sweet? And, you right. know, and I have to go over and say, oh, I saw you. You are so dear. And I saw when you did that. And I have to say something. And. But the thing is, I realized I, I, every time I would go to post on Facebook or do a blog post or, you know, I was diving deeper and deeper into who it kind of like taking more and more risk into who I really am, yeah. you know, more exposure. And it was like everything just took off. It was like and it still is. It's almost faster, more than I can handle. Wow. Really? It's, Wow. Yes. People. And I kept more and more finding my niche, all these people kind of coming out of the woodwork. And it's like, oh, my word, I feel like that. I said that. Thank you. I feel like I can finally express that. I can feel that. I can honor that. Yeah. And it was like, for me, I was seen. I mean, like, there's other people. They want to take risks. They want to feel. They want to be real and connect in a a genuine way, a more real, um, I suppose, authentic or 
you know, way than what we've been conditioned, you know, yeah. our, I, I relate to that. I do. I totally relate to that. That's sort of, it's been a long time coming, but it's, it's the same thing. I, I can see that same process with me where even like in your book, you talk about being like that, even when you were a child. And I was like, yeah, I remember being this way and almost, uh, almost a sense of like, not anxiety, but like frustration. Like one of my friends and I talked about this years ago. I said, you know, there was almost this sense that, uh, this is going to sound so strange, but to, to maybe some people, but like, I wasn't from this place, <laughs> if that makes any I know, sense. Exactly. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I know. And you'd look out around you and just like, like, how am I going? Well, this is me. How am I going to reconcile? How do I? Yeah. Reconcile. I, That's the word. Yeah. I say that all the time. How do I reconcile? these two things. It's like, I've, uh, it's like there's one foot in one reality and one in another, you know, and, and on one hand I go, okay, so that's what you, that's what we're faced with. Right. I mean, that's what you face. You, you got one foot yeah. in one reality and one in the other. Um, so why, right. I mean, that's the next thing I have to ask myself is why then if there, if that is what the way it is, what's the the reason for that? It can't surely be to just be, filled with some sort of discontent uh there's got to be a reason that you have a longing or a feeling like that it's got to be a some value somehow to fellow mankind and a long what was the last bit a longing to what was it well it's like a longing to like sort of share that with other people you know you want to go hey this feeling isn't just it isn't just a feeling that's sort of creating discontent. It's actually something that has value for other beings, oh. you know, in the world. Yes. And I think it is also possibly like yours or mine. I mean, I can, I can I, you'd have to speak, say for yourself, but for me, it's like a vehicle to carry me more fully to myself and to more real full connections, vulnerable, you know, beautiful, intimate, um, whole like connections with another soul, another human being. And through that, it's like we say, Oh, there you are. There I am. Mm. And in that, it's like, we feel the divine or God. We, I am whole. Oh my word. There are, there, you are like me, and there's a strength that forms. Yeah, in that. it's so interesting. When I was, I was, I've been thinking. I don't know why I've been thinking about this a lot lately. But when I was a kid, well, let me back up. I and mean, maybe you've been through this as well. I'd be real curious to hear. But you know, you look back on your childhood and you start to think, well, maybe what what influenced me? You know what. What were the things I was consuming or what was I doing that perhaps has painted my reality the way I or the lens through which I, I, I look at the world or life or structure things, my own personal uh, cosmology, I guess. And so I was wow. I was thinking about this the other day and I, I remember as a kid, I used to read these comic books called ElfQuest. <laughs> and I was thinking about them the other day because they were real nature-based things, this whole storyline. Oh. You know, it was all nature-based, and each of these elves had, like, a different gift, you know, and a way of 
like each one had like a little a different magic that interacted with the natural world and the one thing though that I thought and it kind of keys in on what you were saying you were just saying oh I recognize you I see you you're like me each of these elves had what they called a soul name and when they met another person or another elf they called it recognition and so they would hear the name of this other be- the other person it was a secret to each one of them but they would hear that other one's name when they would meet them and it was like a spiritual recognition moment it was like a bond would form so i was thinking about all that the other day and i was like man I, if i'm really being honest with myself upon reflection all these years later i can still see that comic book imprinted like a little almost like a little light web over the way I perceive my really just almost like reality. I mean, I, and maybe to some people that's silly, but I mean, it really is true. I mean, listening to you say that I was like, Oh, there again, you're, you're describing recognition. It's like, I see you. I see you. Yes. And even in those, you were, yes. Even through a comic book like that with those, I mean, you describe them. It's magical even just listening to it. That, you, your magic that was in you is like reflected. That was something it sounds like where the magic got to be reflected back to you. Yes. Yes. Gosh, that's exactly what I was thinking. I thought, is it the comic book imprinting upon me or did I recognize or did the writers when they were writing that, were they trying to use that medium to express a reality that is, and I recognize that reality. And I think that's kind of like your book. As I'm reading your book, I'm going, I'm having that recognition moment. I'm going, yes, I see what is being, I am understanding what's being put out here. It's resonating. It's, it's connecting. It's, it's, it's authentic. It's real. It's tangible. Even from the very beginning in your book, I mean, your experience with the snake, I just was like, gosh, the way she's describing this, it's like you're communing with that creature. You're in a dialogue with it. So incredible. Yeah, Yeah, it was incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. And you, you know, coming from Maine where nothing was poisonous. I mean, there were winters and you know, there was a bit of poison ivy, but we knew how to recognize that from like three years, you know, old on. And But then going into this land that has some of the world's, in fact, a lot of the world's potentially most deadly snakes, you know, to humans mm-hmm. and deadly to humans. And it's like you can't help. And I, I didn't have a fear of snakes because we grew up on a lake and we handled the water snakes and you know, my life was pretty nature-based, especially in the summers, you know, when there wasn't school. But all of a sudden you're in a, a rainforest that you know these beings are there, and along with many others. But the snakes were the, they were huge teachers for me. I have other stories in there further on. The book kind of gets more, it goes deeper as it goes on, but they were, you know, it, you, you just, because they were, some of them, so deadly to humans. If you didn't know how to be around them, what their needs were, their habitat, you know, things like that, you, and you just blundered along, you could potentially get bitten, and they are, their venom is so deadly. 
And so you know you're out there, especially early on, that that is inevitable. You're in the, the jungle. You're in the rainforest there. You're going to at some point come face to face with one of those. And you come in your mind at first in the early, the young years, you know, you push it back, you know, like, oh, no, okay, I'm just here. It's all cool. And, you know, and you, you focus on the things that won't harm you. Right. But then you, and you, you're always wondering, well, how would I respond? Would I, and you think, God, oh, I'll freak. I'll, I won't handle it. And then the day comes and there it is right in your face. And the most amazing thing happened for me, the beginning of the book there, where, yes, I was afraid. I mean, I'm peeing, and my pants are down around my ankles. <laughs> right. and, I mean, it doesn't get much more vulnerable than that. Right. The position I mean, you were in was completely vulnerable. No. I mean, it was like all the – everything that could possibly be – testing me was testing me and um but then to discover in myself this hidden you know buried unknown to me sort of in my conscious awareness at that point in my life this incredibly primal knowing and instinct to how to behave, what to do, and to even hear the snake's thoughts. And snakes, are, of all the animals I've communicated with, they are almost the fastest, clearest, instantaneous, um, you know, kind of like thought to thought or knowing to knowing um, of all the species that I've communicated. They're amazing. Really? And I don't. Oh yeah, and I don't know if it's because they're they're really their only defense is their speed to get away or to bite. You know, they don't have you know claws. They don't have many of the other um, you know defense mechanisms that other species have. Right. You know, they're so maybe they've had to learn to assess quickly. You know, more quickly in some ways. Yeah, I mean, that I makes could be sense. Awful, but it, it's kind of a thought that I've had about that with snakes. But I was having, I keep going back to uh, when you were talking about as a kid in the the elf comic books and that. And yeah. something, you said a question, you know, like, I don't remember how you worded it, but I think the gist of it was kind of looking at what things imprinted or conditioned us when we were young, kind of yeah. like going back and looking and then maybe discerning, Ooh, I don't want that one anymore. Ooh, this one, I'm going to claim that. Yeah. So in my second book, I have a line somewhere that says, I went back and in the ashes of my life, I blew the ashes away and I, took with me the jewels, you know, the mm. diamonds, because diamonds don't burn, you know. Yeah. And so those I carried with me, the things that were really like my dad giving me nature, you know. Right. Um, but I was thinking how, you know, this conditioning and how 
deep, it can be so pervasive that as we get older and everything around us, year after year, you know, month after month, on it goes, is so pervasive and can be so accepted, things that are actually really horrific or just devoid of any life, you know, just in their, the absence of life. And I just thought I'll fill in here a minute um, to deal to sh- tell something about this. But first, I should tell the rainforest, the Daintree Rainforest, which is where this book, Naked in Eden, takes place. Depending on which scientist you talk, you know, to, it's like 100 to 180 million years old. And that's like tens of millions of years older than the Amazon. Mm. And just in this Daintree area, there are, I think it's like 12 or 13 of the world, out of the world's like oldest, you know, primitive flowering plants. Like there's 19 families of primitive flowering plants. This area has 12 of them. Wow. In this area. And the plants there are so old, they're, the, they're still the same plants that the dinosaurs ate. So you take a, a girl from Maine who is really lost. The only time she wasn't lost was when she was in nature, and her dad gave her that. But so much of my life, as the older I got, was around school. You had to go to school back then by law. And so I kind of, my time with nature got less and less and less and less. Mm-hmm. And it would start getting conditioned out of me. Oh, yeah. And so you take this, me, this young girl at age 25, and I'm plunked down, I mean, way off the map in this virgin rainforest that's over 100 million years old and so far away from people and everything I've ever known, so far away from social conditioning. And I'm in this ancient dinosaur plant area with these trees and ferns and water you could drink that all runs right down to white sand beaches in the sea. And then just off the coast, a ways is the Great Barrier Reef, the Coral Sea and the Great Barrier Reef. And to just go wild like that. I mean, there are very few now, really, opportunities for a person to kind of experience a more indigenous way of life, our indigenous roots, those early primordial feelings and way of life. And so I'm way out there with a hundred million years old life, basically undisturbed. And talk about something happens on where you're the contrast between that, this millions, millions of years of primal knowing, still there, intact. And then I'm looking out from that 
back at my culture. And it's like, holy mackerel, what happened here? Mm. And then like, just automatically something happens just being there for any length of time, more than just a, like a quick vacation and bam, you're gone. But actually being there where you start to shed your clothes and you're walking barefoot and you learn and observe about the snakes and are they terrestrial on the land? Are they arboreal? Are they nocturnal night, come out at night? Are they diurnal, come out in the day? You know, do they, they during the heat of the, the day, you have to can't just step over a rock. They could be in the shade of the rock or the log and you start learning. They're very territorial. Okay, this is a little yellow-bellied black snake. It goes here by the spring every day, and this one here. and So you slowly are shedding, leaving something behind you, this conditioning, and you're slowly kind of infiltrating your spirit into this force, this wildness that you start to realize is so intelligent. It is intelligence itself. Self. And when you start to see all these little life and death, and I call it kind of communion because it's really is life flowing into life, but all these things all day long eating something else. And you have to somehow in yourself reconcile this because I've been conditioned there's life and then there's death. You know, life is good, but death is bad. And these creatures that go and grab something and eat it, and there's blood and guts, and oh, they're they're evil, they're bad. The snakes, they're evil, you know, swallowing the little bird. Well, then you see the bird, the beautiful little bird, going and snatching up a beautiful butterfly, you know, that has wings almost as big as my hand. Wow. And, and so everything goes a kilter. It's like, wow, so the bird isn't, innocent either. Well, maybe they're all innocent. Maybe it is life just devouring life. You know, like it's so in love with itself. It's one big organism and it just continually devours, you know, consumes part of itself life to create more life. A continual creation. You know, so nature is like creativity or creation like right before your eyes and so I no longer saw it as death like good and evil or life and death it all just became very natural and oh there's a little snake he's having you know his breakfast you know the bird and the bird is having the butterfly and it's all flowing you know life flowing into life yeah it's so your whole conditioning that I got from school and really young, my dad finally took us out of the church, but when we were, I was probably maybe three or four, but, you know, that people can get from their church or schooling or their their culture, the, the conditioning starts just being obliterated. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I mean... As, as And then time as well, I imagine, right? I mean, time becomes more elastic, right? Oh, oh, you're so, you're, oh, talking with you is so amazing because you just see absolutely until, 
for me, and and this is so hard to convey for someone, and I, I have almost no concept of time. Like, I probably had to go and check. Okay, I have an interview with her. Now, let's see, you said... Okay, took off. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I got to go look up the time zone now, and I got to keep looking at my clock time. Oh yeah, I got to grasp this. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went years without clocks, years without calendars, no TV, no computers, nothing. Yeah. And and you're right. Your whole where there is no time, like where you start to feel things, where the past, the present, the potential, what we might call the future, it's all just happening at once. Right. That's a hard thing to really, that's a hard conversation to have with many people I have found. I mean, I have found people like you in my life, uh, and I've been blessed, honestly, even through this show to have had many conversations where that, this concept or this way of perceiving time, which is really ultimately what it boils down to is perception and I've been lucky to have conversations where I can, we can talk about it. Then, uh, <laughs> there we go. It just, something happened. I, I could hear you though, but I said, well, let me try to call her back. <laughs> so, no, that, it's, we're plagued by technical difficulties today. It's a really, uh, odd phenomena. <laughs> Maybe our connection, you know, like seeing each other and, and just, thriving in that maybe it's creating a lot of energy yeah i don't know what's going on man it's really wild that's really strange you know what though i i uh, my suspicion sometimes is that you're not far off i think with what you're saying i think i have a sneaky suspicion sometimes that there is uh forces at play you know that you just can't really put your finger on that Sometimes oh, try yeah. to get people to either connect or not connect. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And it's meant to be or not. You right, know? right. Well, yeah. that was I. I um, we were talking about time, though, and yeah, I was right on board with what you were saying there. I mean, about not being around a clock because that's a difficult thing. I mean we we live out here in this society that we've structured that we don't question <laughs> for some reason and yeah, uh, we just roll along with it. And we're like, everything is on a clock. I mean, everything runs on time. And on one hand, I guess the argument from, I guess the religion of time <laughs> is that, well, how would you do anything? How would, how would we get anything done? And, you know, deep down my rebuttal to that is what do we really need to do? I mean, I listen oh. as I'm reading your book and, and, other people who have sort of stepped out of the wheel of time as much as a human being can, yeah. we don't need very much really. We think we do. We we believe we need a lot of things, but we don't really need a lot. Yeah, I agree. It's amazing what we can let go of. I Something I've been doing lately when – I continually check in two things I'll ask myself. Um, where have I fallen asleep at the wheel? Where mm. in my life have I fallen asleep? Almost daily. And then the other one is, you know, have like a sometimes a rigorous schedule other days, so-so. But I'll look at it and think, uh, you know, I might be getting, this is too much. I'm overwhelmed. I'll think, wait a minute. What really do I need here? 
and you know what is what is really essential. It's amazing the things I can cut out. Yeah, and say let's stack. I'll do that later next week. I'll do this, you know, or just even the things that you can live without. Yeah, I mean, I've lived with just what would fit in a knapsack for years. Yeah, you Are know, you, uh, not. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm I'm following you. I was really just affirming that. I, I get what you mean. Yeah. You know, another thing you were talking about time, and I was thinking, remembering, like in the the rainforest when I started. I mean, it just happened, and I was right, ready, needing something in my life. But it's more than that. It's this such an ancient primal. Place. I mean, millions of years old, hundreds of millions, or a hundred million years old. And it's like something happens real organic, almost effortlessly. And as long as we don't resist it, we unfold. Mm. It's like perfect birthing place is right there, you know, and it is so amazing. So when I, but when I first started to lose my grip on time, I remember for a little bit, it was like disorient. You know, I felt disoriented and confused and like, wow, this is, this is weird. And, and then I remember thinking one day, well, who had clocks, you know, I mean, clocks don't go back to early when the aboriginals were here. The only the only markers were like the sun rising, the sun setting, you know, the slight shift in the seasons of certain plants that produce food or the slight um, blossoming of leaves on some of the trees made them look pink and beautifully colored, the mm-hmm. new leaves and, you know, certain flowering plants. I mean... I think it was about just a few degrees south of the equator. So there's, you know, it's basically 12 hours light, 12 hours dark. And, you know, and so you get into a more, oh, I know I used the word earlier, but kind of an organic um, rhythms are, you know, you start attuning with the earth. Mm. And with time, it becomes so natural I remember when I first came out of the rainforest and I had a, I owned a cabin way up north in Maine. I mean, I couldn't just, I had to adjust, you know, it was way out in the boonies and, but up near um, Mount Katahdin, you know, state park up that way. But I remember when the electricity was turned on in the house, I was like someone, (laughs) I remember I I hardly knew the woman, but I'd met her in town, and she came out, and and I'm standing there at the kitchen sink, turning the tap off and on. She said, what are you doing? And I said, look at this. Mm. Look, water, no water, water, just right out of the tap. And then the light, you know, turning the light switches on, and then going, having gone years without light, no lights, and just to bed with the sun, awake with the sun, and feeling, turning on the light after dark, and feeling myself getting all agitated, and, oh, it's too much, I had to turn Mm. it off. And then it's the middle of winter in Maine, 
And I mean, with a wind chill, you can get minus 70 degrees, you know, minus 50, even without a wind chill, sometimes up there. And I couldn't sleep with the windows closed in the middle of winter. So I'd have on, you know, for years, I, I couldn't even sleep on a bed. I'd sleep uh, <laughs> on, on the floor. And yeah. the window of my head, and I'd had on this wool cap, and, you know, I was in a... I think I had a sleeping bag thrown over me and all the windows were open and I'd wake up and there was snow on my, and sometimes I'd get so like the walls were just closing and I'd grab my sleeping bag and, and I'd trudge out under a, you know, like a, a spruce tree and, and I'd dig into the snow and I'd just go in there. It's like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I can relate to this. You know, I've never been through an experience like what you've been through, and I've always been fascinated with different people who've made these types of journeys. Uh, and I know this is maybe a weird line to draw, but you, to between two people, and I'm sure you're familiar with this person, but I'm sure you're familiar with the story of uh, Chris McCandless and the book uh, Into the yeah. Wild. Wild, yeah. You know, when I read that book, and when I was in my early twenties, there was a part of that story. My, I remember a friend who gave me the book. He said, he had a little note in the front. It said something to this effect. He said, you're going to read this as I did. I'm sure because Chris made a journey that you and I will never get to make. He, he sort of became like a, the sacrifice for those of us who yeah. never got to walk into yeah. the wild. And so I, I, all these years later, I've thought about that as much about the book as I did about the inscription my friend left because, you know, my wife and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. I said, you know, can you imagine had, had Chris come home, uh, you know, cause he wanted to come home. If, you know, he was, he was leaving, he got trapped, you know, and if he, if he had come back, what would he have been able to share with us about this experience of being isolated and being tied to the the cycles of nature and, and, you know, the sun and the moon and the, the wildlife and everything that he had experienced. And as I was reading your book and thinking about this conversation today, I thought, well, in some way, that is kind of what I'm getting to experience today is to talk to someone who, like Chris, also got left and, and went into the wild but you came out and now you've carried out whatever you've got there and you get to share that with us. And that's a wonderful gift. Oh, wow. Warren, your depth of vision. I mean, you have got to know you are a visionary. I mean, in the truest sense of the word, it's wow. Wow. It, yes. And you know, there is not a day of my life, Orrin, that I don't know that I was given a gift and that I do not give thanks and I don't know why or, well, I was dying, basically. Yeah. I wouldn't have lived had I not had that. And, you know, there are some people that say, oh, well, Chris, you know, in the Into the Wild book, well, you know, that was silly. I mean, he died and you, no, I read that and I cried. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could have, I could, anyone can have a mishap. Anyone can. I could have. I still could. People have mishaps in this culture every day. Right. But he died. He was so much courage to just 
he was trying to find something beyond. Right. You know, in some way, set himself free. Mm-hmm. Or at least question, you know. You know, to go out on that limb and see, is there another view? And I am not saying that, you know, that just going into the wilds. I, I lived in Alaska for a short time, like the Alaskan wilds or or into the jungles or rainforests of Australia or the Amazon or wherever, that that is the only way. I mean, there. I, I really do feel there are many doors to really almost to freedom, you know, in ourselves. Like almost daily we can be presented with doors. And yeah. for me, oh, wow, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, it's hard to stay in that state where you see those doors uh, whenever you're trapped in time, it's interesting. I don't expect our conversation to be about that, but you know, getting into that space that you got into, I guess it, it unlocks almost like a, a second sight. Does that, does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That is beautiful. It absolutely does. And I know some people do drugs or different things to try to have those experiences that break them out of the, conditioning or the numbness or the deadness or the whatever. And, but, you know, something I've learned in my life since I've been out, it's kind of what I did. That was like a big leap. And then there were many other leaps. And in my second book, there's more adventures and things, but, and I still have adventures. I get up every morning and I hike barefoot two to four miles out into the desert. And I do, one of the ways that for me that I found to expedite or to really open the doors, number one, do the things that we're afraid of. And I don't mean, you know, fear can be a healthy thing. Like it can be a guide. You know, fear is hardwired into our primal brain to, you know, you don't want to go just traipsing off into a jungle. You could, you could die. I mean, a kid went in there and he had his, Throat slit by a cassowary. You know, they have a five-inch rapier-sharp claw. Oh, wow. God, it's crazy. Yeah. And so, I mean, I went, I kept staying within my, I I kept testing the waters, but not being, I had common sense. I used my common sense, but then kept testing a little bit, a little bit each time. And we can apply that in our lives now, like, like simple things that we can do each day to, you know, very shake up our routine or face a fear. Like if we have a fear, like I heard about you, you know, taking your show on the road there for a bit and kind of mm-hmm. that was a new experience for you. And I thought, good for you, Orrin. You know, I mean, because to kind of step out of the comfort zone, like you said, where you were kind of in, in your own kind of domain and where you, things are familiar and it's kind of, you, you can control it. And then going out on the road where you don't know what'll be what, you know, it's mm. kind of a new adventure. And so those type of things, like facing our fears, you know, like, what is it? What could I do to kind of approach this fear? Right. You know, like it could, 
public speaking. It could be um, doing an interview for someone. It could be uh, taking up a dance. It could be any number of things. Some people want to be an artist and they're terrified to. They're afraid they'll fail. You know, they won't be any good or, or learning to play an instrument or, you know, whatever it is. So facing my fear is something I'm continually face my fear. And the other thing is kind of just doing things we've never done before. You know, just thinking, what could I do that I have, you know, and it might be for some people simply eating food that, oh, I don't eat that, you know, or no, right. I don't wear that, or no, no, that's not me, and, you know, and doing it anyway, you know, kind of shaking things up a bit. That's really what almost causes an awakening in my experience. I, I might be I might be wrong about this, and I know we all are so different and so varied, but it just seems to be a common thread is the shaking up. You know, <laughs> it's like that's the part that where the ground stops feeling so certain. For me, that was what it was like, and I don't want to. I wouldn't want to speak from an arrogant place because sometimes that can be perceived that way. And I know I tend to almost be repulsed by that or repelled, maybe not repulsed by, I guess, ego or arrogance that surrounds an awakening experience. Cause it can come off that way. It can seem like someone may be mm -hmm. setting themselves up to be special or raised above <laughs> others. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that kind of thing, no. but at least in my humble experience, it was like, like you just said, like things getting shaken up, like the components, you put your foot on the ground and things didn't feel certain anymore. And if I would have just stepped back, if I would, that's the way I, in my reflection on it was if I would have stepped away from that uncertain place where I stuck my foot then I wouldn't have ever stepped through because if I would have held back, I wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have broke up the ice, so to speak. I mean, so by stepping forward on that uncertain ground and then the ground just giving out underneath me, <laughs> I fell in. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I just fell in because I didn't have a choice. And then what's so delicious is when you fall through like the ice or the ground gives way and you can't easily get out. <laughs> Oh, right. So you're stuck there and you have to grow, you know, right. it's like, and you might spend a whole lot of time, you know, bemoaning your fate and pity partying or whatever. Oh, I have some of that in my second book. It's great. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and finally, you realize, okay, you know, no one kind of like, no, uh, for me, uh, no one else can, uh, Help me out of it. They're all trying to get out of their own pits. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting because that's the literally that was almost like the next thing I was going to say. Some paraphrase of what you just said was, "Who's coming to save me?" I mean, who's coming? Right? I mean, yeah, nobody. Exactly. Nobody's coming. There's. I'm here, and I just fell yeah. in. And um, okay, what's next? I mean, I'm I'm on the ground. I'm at the bottom of a hole or whatever that space yeah. is, and. There's no, there's no rescue or nobody knows I'm here. 
It's almost like nobody exactly. knows I'm here. Exactly. Nobody knows I'm here. Oh, my word. That is it. Uh, my wording was, they don't even see me. No one even knows I'm here. I'm mean, yeah. okay with it. It's like, you know, I'm kind of invisible in my pit here. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? Now, I've never really... I never really made this connection, but I guess in, in a way it's a part of maybe having like a second sight is looking around at the world and realizing that on the outside, all these other human beings that we encounter, uh, we really have all these prejudgments about them, but they might also be in that very space that we're talking about going oh, through right. something right on the precipice of a great awakening and nobody knows they're in it because they're dressed the same. They're doing the same things. You know, they're putting on a smile, shaking hands, saying, how's you doing today? How's the weather? All those niceties that make up a, a quote, civil yeah. society. But they might be right at the edge of a great awakening and nobody knows they're in there. That is so profound. As you were talking, I remember it was, I write about this, one of my, I'm in the pit, and I finally realize you mean, well, first I realized, oh my word, this is humanity. So many of them are on the verge of their great awakening, or they're in their pit struggling, or they're, you know, they have their own, you know, focus and may possibly dilemma or they're going through some really um, intense growth or breaking through or whatever. And it's like to see suddenly humanity like that, it was like, oh, we all are in the same boat. Yeah. So if you want out of your pit, Robin, you have to create a ladder. Mm. What is going to be your ladder? What can you create a ladder out of here? Hmm. Well, number one, it's the self-pity. You know, you're just swirling around in your own swill down here. Let's ditch that. Mm -hmm. That's not going to You know, what do I have? What is? What can I draw on here in myself and in the world? Or, you know, some something outside me, a, a stronger, greater force than myself. You know, someone might say like the divine or God or. Well, I mean, for me, that was what it was like. I mean, I, I've told the story in varying degrees over the years, but it was like that for me as well. And and exactly as you said, I, when I stop and in a way is weird because on one hand I want to, it can sound like I'm saying, well, when you get in a hole, all you have to, all you have is yourself to lean on. And that can be almost reinforcing the ego to some degree. I mean, you can go, I'm great. I did it all on my own by my own strength and my bootstraps and all that stuff. But, but really what it, I, I, for me anyway, the, what I almost mean is like, uh, yeah, I almost had to give up all of me because everything I had done was what got me there in the first place. And so now that all of me is in here, and I have, and all of me got me here. What's going to get me out? And then it's almost like I've, I've always, to some degree, I've called it a mystery. Whatever greeted me and saved me 
or woke up. Maybe maybe nothing woke me up. Maybe I just got out of my own way and was able to see something that was already there all along that I would just could not see. Maybe I got hints of it and was sort of wanting it and wanted it, but didn't know what it was. I don't know. It was like a, a mystery approached. A mystery sort of wrapped its arms around me. And oh, does it make sense? Like, it's like because I was in the way of it. I was completely in my own way, trapped in my own stuff. I like that. I totally, totally get this. I so many key things you said here about the ego. Like I think it was a very couple things about the mystery and about when you seeing everyone else sort of from my pit, it was very humbling for me. Oh, and I think I got like another really, it was another key compassion point in my life. Mm. Oh, and so my parents, my, in some ways I started to realize there almost is no such thing as parents. They're just like me. Yeah. They were, they were like me when they had me, 25, 27 years old. Oh, my word. Mm-hmm. They were here. So I started to develop compassion. And for, you mean, all of, I mean, first I had my tantrum and my, you know, pity party and all that. And then I realized that wasn't getting me anywhere. And then it's like, oh, my word, humanity. And I wept. I mean, I wailed in the forest. Mm. They too are all struggling. We all are. This is humanity. And I felt so much love and so humbled, you know, that it was a, an amazing feeling. And with that, so much I, I let go of. You're right about to where I write in my book, second book about that I'm working on about a death and kind of a rebirth. That wasn't my words at the time, but I hear people use that now, so it's kind of a communication bridge. But everything that I thought was me and really kind of had been me that I'd taken on was like died Mm. in that kind of awakening. It's like in the whole vision of the world and of humanity. And then another feeling, so... There's that death and then a rebirth kind of in the forest where I, that's a whole other side thing. But seeing humanity and this feeling of first time in my life, wanting to love people. Mm. Because I, I, at that age, I assumed, okay, or kind of pondered and made it maybe an assumption at that stage. But if I'm going through this, whether they're varying levels of awareness of where they're at, just like I wasn't aware at first and, and becoming more aware and blah, blah, blah. But they they are like me. They're all in their own way trying to find and build their ladder. Yeah. You know, to, And, yeah, getting that ego just, like, trounced on her, you know, just crushed into the dust like that. And having a more, a vaster 
more humble, more compassionate um, view of the world. And that's when I started. There I am, thousands of miles away from humanity. I mean, how bizarre is this? And falling in love with humanity. Yeah. And when I... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just I'm, I'm a re, just affirming what you're saying. I mean, there... It, there's so much here <laughs> listening to you talk about that. I mean, it is interesting because I, I read a lot of Thomas Merton. He's somebody that I just adore. And, you know, when he t- talks about going out when he is approved to go live at his hermitage, you can you can see his writing change. I mean, the the, the wording and the deep love and connection that he has for all of humanity, you start to see it really emerge even more so, which is almost incredible to say, but it happened in isolation away from humanity. It was like such an odd thing though, because you think, well, to be with people, you have to love to to love people. You got to be with them. And I I do to some degree believe it's kind of like, you know, the, the Zen thing where you got to go back to the fish market after enlightenment, you know, and still the same fish market, (laughs) But yeah, it's like that. I mean, it's like you're, you got to get away so you can almost get a a perspective. I don't know what else to say, but like get a little mountaintop view so you can see the whole organism. So it has, Um, we have to take that time to do that. Wow. See the whole organism. That is beautiful. Oh yeah. I, Wow, that's what happened in the rainforest. I saw it all as one, first it, as one living organism, not all these separate parts, Mm. you know, this devouring this. No, it was one living organism, totally in love with itself, just creating and and taking more, more of itself, more life, and creating something new, taking more life, creating something new. And something you said also, Orrin, back a bit ago, you felt wrapped in mystery. Do you remember saying Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah, that is, I kind of called it the great mystery. Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you have to have room for that, right? I mean, that's where beautiful things happen. It's on the edge of something else. I mean, where... It's kind of like when you find out you 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 know pull up a a baseboard or a border on a home and then you look under there and you find out that you've got something growing under there and it's just, it's a beautiful <laughs> plant that you didn't know. You know, you see the edge of maybe some trim that you had like a bordering flower that you put down and you're like, "Oh, this pretty little flower along the edge." And then when you dig back, you go, oh, my gosh, look at this. It's it's grown into this huge field that I didn't even know existed. And I'll tell you, it's funny. It made, what made me think about this was I have this little flowering vine that I love in my garden. And I put it there because I was driving down this, this street in our town. And it's kind of a cut through. It's, there's nothing on it. There's not homes on it. It's sort of like fences on either side of the street all the homes are on the the streets either side of it and so i like to drive to there and pinch plants you know pull me a little plant here and there (laughs) something that i can root because all these homes 
on the street, they have these gardens that have been left unkept and in the ditches behind their fences are all these beautiful different plants. And I tell my wife's like, you come home with plants off that street all the time. I said, well, this is a forgotten street, but the backside behind their yards are full of the overgrowth, you know? Oh, that is so mad. It's funny. A lot of my friends call me Robin Plant because I rob plants. <laughs> <laughs> and you're telling this and I'm just laughing. And it's like I'm thinking, yeah, you little plants, you go home with Orin. It's That's a right. good home. He, I'm a I plant mean, pinching son of a gun, oh, man. I'm going to pinch them if I find them. You oh, watch out. Man. <laughs> and they thrive at your place. Your photographs of... Oh, my word. It's like you are so enmeshed in there so intimately. The little skink and the little water lilies and the things that you photograph. Your photography is just stunning. And it's a reflection. It's like you're putting these photos up, right? But you're saying, here, this is who Orin is. Mm, That's interesting. And you... You bring that up, and it's like, whoa, all those pictures lined up like that. And you just like, ah! And it's like, this is Oren. But you know this what, Robin? I, I got to say, I'm mean, listening to you say that, and I got to say that's very much how I feel when I'm reading your book. And, 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 okay, so, yeah, I can take a little flower, and a lot of people do this. I mean, all of our, some of our greatest spiritual teachers, that was the way they taught, too. They're like, look at the mustard seed, you know, or uh, look at the, the, the head of wheat. And they use these things as metaphors, and so I can maybe see a flower and, and share an inner reflection that I'm having off that one flower, but look at what you did. That's the beautiful thing. You've taken not just a flower, but a whole rainforest, a whole (laughs) ecosystem, all its own, and shared that with the whole world. It's sort of like this kaleidoscopic outpouring. You can look in any direction from that experience and find spiritual metaphor that benefits people's lives. So what values, it's not just, I mean, of obvious great value to you personally, but you know, to share that story. And as it seems you're, you're sharing it in a second book, that's also, again, just another, you know, beat of that drum, a vibrational ring that just goes out a second time, you know, to get even further into that. And people who read that, it touches their lives. It changes their lives because they, to me, they they go, oh, I want some of that. They may not be able to all go do the rainforest. They may not all be able to get away, but they want just, maybe it doesn't take that. And they just need a taste. Exactly. You know? I agree. They, it's a, what is it? They want life. Yeah. They want life. They want that. We all do. We, I mean, it may get buried, but it's never lost. I don't believe it's ever lost. My little spark was so buried by the time I got to the rainforest, I was dying. Mm. And physically dying. And but it's always there and we can never I I feel like we can never distinguish, no, what is it? Extinguish. Mm, (laughs) Extinguish that spark that's like who we are it's like the someone might call it the god light or the the great mystery or the the life force it's 
I mean, it's come from the stars. I mean, it, it, it can't, it can never be extinguished because we are life. Yeah. We are life itself. Yeah. There's and something life, about that. There's something special about, and maybe, maybe many people have had this reflection, but you know, just for me to rest in the idea that, you know, it's the old joke. If a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? You know, you've heard that. I've heard it. Everybody's heard it. And it's supposed to be a funny little joke, like a, almost like a Zen cone type of thing. But I, I thought I think about that almost with humanity sometimes and not just humans, but I I think about just eyes, you know, just just a sense, one sense. If there are no senses to perceive these beautiful things that have been created, not just on earth, but in the whole universe. I mean, how amazing a creature, how, how amazing a gift. Let me say this. Is it to be a human being, to be able to have all these senses and eyes and a mind to not just witness all of this stuff, which makes it real in a sense, but then to be able to contemplate and put your, heart upon it. That is an incredible thing to think the universe gave rise to its own witness. That's unbelievable. I I have tears right now on my face. I am I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope that was recorded. It is so beautiful. I want to hear it again. Well, I didn't, I hope, but, you know, it's just, it's something I think about sometimes. I'm sure you felt that way in the rainforest, you know? I mean, and you've probably taken that with you now. You're a witness forever, you know? Yeah. And I, oh, wow. I feel like in you sharing that, Oren, I feel like I was just seen. And how much life, whether it's a deer or like the deer, the beavers, the different animals that I can, that I call in and will come and just stand with me, be with me. Yeah. I don't touch them or feed them or anything. They just like come and sit Mm. in the space love. And, but it's like they too thrive on being seen. Just you putting that out made me feel seen. You made my world real. But you're you 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 are those eyes. I mean, it's obvious to me, and I'm sure anybody who is attracted to a work like you've put out there and, and then the work you're doing with others now, you know, they sense it, they see that. To me, maybe that even is, and I don't know. I mean, I've never really sat and fleshed this thought out, but I mean, maybe that is what we are to be, is to just behold, just to behold, and in a way, that that behold the beloved, I guess, to some degree. It's like that we're in a dance, I mean, with with the thing that created us, if, if and thing maybe isn't the right word, because that Im- implicates that there's something out there. But we're in a dance, we're in some kind of a relationship with it. I mean, and to be able to 
witness another creature. I mean, just even going back to the beginning of your book, when you're talking about that snake, I mean, you draw, you draw me in as I'm reading those words and you're describing this creature and the, almost the intense anxiety and fear is replaced by this sort of sedative awareness, the way you internally dealt with that and processed it all right there in that moment. I mean, y'all, it seemed like you were nose to nose with this creature yeah. that could very much take your life, <laughs> but you were in a relationship with it that went beyond this normal uh, human versus nature I guess, dynamic that we sort of live yeah. in. And so there was like a oneness there, even though there was threat to your life. I don't know. You, you were a witness so, in, to me in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Something. And like I said, I was wondered, you know, you wonder how will I wreck? You know, they're, they're out there. What will happen? Will I be able to, and you're trying to prepare yourself. And there really isn't any way there's going to be that first, you know, at some point there's going to be, an encounter and something even it was almost like there was me with the snake and then this other me marveling mm. it's this primal or this primordial mm-hmm. part of me just blossomed whoa whoa yeah it's like you got whoa. activated yes it activated something I had never felt in my life, didn't even know was in there, not consciously. Mm. And it just activated and starts blossoming and coming into full, you know, presence. And, and, it's, and I loved your thing about kind of the sedative, what did you call it, awareness? Or yeah, like you? a sedative awareness. <laughs> it wasn't not like a heightened, sharp awareness where... You're, to me, like a sharp awareness would be something where you're really focused on something with an intent. But like a sedative awareness is almost like, to me, again, I'm, I'm just making this up as I go along here. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like it's a calming awareness, like you're just in it. You're almost beyond your own skin for a little bit, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Like almost like there was none of me in it anymore. Yeah. You know, like something of me just like. And something else took over, and yet I was aware, and just information coming, and then knowing I have to respond, just sort of naturally happening. In fact, not even knowing I have to, it just happened. Mm-hmm. And yet this other part of me kind of here, just marveling over this, my word. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Just, I mean, I'm thinking about trying to put myself in your shoes, and... I kind of had, especially being in that environment. I mean, I love being in nature, but I've never been in nature long enough for myself to really fully just sort of begin to melt away or my identifiers. And I guess I I started thinking about this as a a while back. And then I was reading your book and it kind of dredged this thought up again. And I thought, you know, nature, I guess it allows for that, that heightened awareness because for a human being, perhaps mm-hmm. because when we look at nature, we think we can think of how threatening it can be. It can be very beautiful, but nature threatens us. So there's a fear factor there. Mm-hmm. But nature by itself is 
is not good or bad, right? I mean, it just, what you talked about, the consuming of the creatures consuming each other and then new life being born and then decay and then bloom. All of that's just life consuming itself to create more life. So nature is violent and is red and tooth and claw and all of that. But it's only the human being that perceives it as dangerous. Other creatures don't perceive it as have that perception. They don't even have that at all. I mean, they they may have fear or survival mechanisms or instincts, but there's not a a thought of it being bad or good. It just is. It's like a resting. What was that? It's It's like a resting aware, a resting in it or just in it, you know? Yes, kind of like it just is. It just is. It's kind of holding us. We're there. And yet humans kind of, yeah, can take it even beyond bad to, well, from what I've heard people tell me when when we've talked, but it's, it's evil. You know, oh, the evil snake or the evil shark or the evil, you know, some of the predators that... um when we're in the food chain, can mm-hmm. potentially kill us, eat us. And the thought that something out there could eat us, <laughs> I mean, it's like we become very indignant and and, and plus horrified and whatever. Yeah. But, you know, I was thinking, it's like we, oh, this, this uh, talking with you is amazing. You have a, a stunningly beautiful, um, intimacy or communion with nature. It's one that I feel. I mean, you're, you may not be out in it and, and, you know, all the time, or maybe like you said, what I mean, no, what you said about for a long time, you know, extended mm. period. But it's like, and I sense this in you just when I was, you know, exploring you on, that your photos and your interviews and different things on your on the internet and but it's like oh Lauren is a force of nature he's moving through this world through this culture as nature oh my god and I sat there one day just something I had read you'd written and something I'd looked at and tears just kept coming to my eyes and I said, I know this life force. He's nature. He's nature. And even beyond, well, nature is, to me, is the divine. You know, nature is like my church. Oh, God, yes. I relate to that. I relate to oh, that. Yeah. When that right there, I I mean, I, I, I probably like you. I have to assume that you're probably not in a particular religious tradition of any I'm kind. Not. And I'm not either. I mean, I have things that I've adopted into my life, you know, and I I treat that the same way as I almost treat uh, plants. You know, like I said, I'm a plant pincher and maybe you're the same way, but I pinch religion as well and spiritual practices as well. It's like, you know, if something resonates and if it would, if it will take root, that's the other thing, like the rooting of the thing. I mean, I can pinch plants and then bring them back. But it, but if they don't acclimate properly and I can't get them to root, it'll never grow here. 
you know? And so I find spiritual practice and religions to be similar. It's like, oh, that, I I look at that the same way and go, oh, that will probably root in me. That, that resonates and it will probably root and graft if I, if I practice it, if I apply it. Yeah. So we uh, practice it, apply it, feel into it, observe it, understand it, and we embrace it. It takes yeah. root. Yeah. Wow, that is beautiful. I've never heard anyone say that. Well, I mean, it it's makes a mutt of a makes a mutt and a messy thing for people on the outside sometimes because I think we want to be able to identify what to identify each other by markers. I think that's very much a part of our culture and our society. It's very much who are you and what mm-hmm. I mean by who are you is what do you do? Where do you live? Who are you married to? Where did your kids go to school? Yeah, right. Where'd you go to school? Yeah. And, what yeah. religion, what church do you go to? And it's all those things. And I don't mean to say that, say this with the tone I did just now. I mean, I'm not trying to say those are bad things, but that tends to be the markers people quickly sum you up as. And so when you're, when you don't have a traditional marker, and I'm sure you've probably experienced this, it's a little harder for someone to get there, put you in something. And that that maybe makes it seem a little, uh, oh, what's the word? Just a little odd. I'll just use a simple word. It's a little odd to some people. They go, um, I'm not sure where that is. I'm not sure what you are. So... I'm going to keep my distance. And then other people are attracted, but they don't know why, you know, because it's something alien. It's like, oh, I'm not familiar with this or this strange mixture of things usually don't go together. So, yeah, it's a little odd. I mean, it's a strange existence. I mean, surely, because there's some comfort to be comfort and uh, security and maybe even a little ego boost when you are involved or accepted by a tribe, right? I mean, when a tribe accepts yeah. you because you've made yourself fit, exactly. I mean, there's that feeling of belonging that everyone desires so much, and only because we've been tricked or maybe taught that we don't belong, but actually, right? I mean, you know this from going into uh, the rainforest. You already belong. Yes. Oh, we already do. Already do. It's almost like it may get buried, but really, my feeling is that we can never not belong. It's like just remembering that we already do. Yeah, no I doubt. I remember. Sorry, no. Go ahead. No, what that was it. Just affirming what you said. Yeah. You know, um, I reached a point where once I kind of climbed out of the pit, accepted and saw humanity and cried, and I wailed for myself, wailed for my parents, wailed for my grandparents, wailed for all of humanity. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd go into the forest where no one, I mean, miles around, no one could hear me. I had that great gift of being able to wail. I felt like I was wailing for all of humanity. I mean, I think we can all, that kind of is in us. We, when we connect, we connect to all of us, and we we develop for the first time, well, I did in my life, empathy. And so we feel our own feelings, and we understand how others can feel and do feel. And I mean, there may be variances and whatever. You know, we're all unique, I think, but there's an overall feeling of 
empathy. Oh, yeah. They're like me. And you, you feel this amazing, to me, I did sense of belonging. Oh, we're all in the same boat. And then kind of I went through a phase where I, like you talked about the ego, like so humbled, realizing it wasn't the way I thought. And it was, you know, it was everyone, we were all kind of the same. And it's not good or bad, right or wrong. And, and sort of opening up so vastly in myself, I had no defenses left. And my whole life started just unfolding, memories going back and back and back, things I'd forgotten, both amazingly beautiful and horrifically painful. And I mean, the whole mix and seeing both the gifts that I was given, like my dad, today's his birthday. If, oh, you know, wow. He's no five, but today yeah. is his birthday. And he gave me the gift of nature. You know, he got rid of our TV when... We were, I was probably four years old. And he said, I want my kids, I don't want, I don't want them watching other people's lives. I want them living their own lives. Yeah. And, and he started taking us into nature. I mean, six kids, how did he do that? But anyway, he did. And it was a huge gift. And so having these, going through my life, finally just committing, okay, show me, lay it on me. And like, falling in love with things and, and then horrified and wailing and feeling fears and heading straight into it. And I started having dreams and visions and memories just, I mean, for about three months, two to three months. And I didn't, during that time, I did a, a vow of silence. Didn't speak one word to wow. anyone. Not How even. long? What was that? How long did you do that? Three months. Wow. Not one not one word, not, you know, other than crying or wailing. And my, I, I knew I was saving. At some point, I realized I was saving my soul, that if I didn't want to die, that I had to let life in. And that's what life was, the whole mixed bag, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And thinking, though, still some part of me thinking when I got to the end of this journey, this incredibly deep, intense, at times terrifying, at times just so much beauty, I could, my, my, my thin little body could hardly contain it. It couldn't, you know. I'd be almost sobbing from the sheer beauty of life. And thinking when I got to the end, then I would find I'd, I'd be with the real Robin. Ah, yes. But when I got to the end, it was all gone, empty. Mm. Everything behind me, like, vaporized. Yeah. And there was just, like, I called it the great nothingness or the great emptiness. And during those, then probably for another couple of months, I, I don't even think I spoke then either because I was... Every day going from wherever we were camped or at one point we started to build the place, but I was torrential rain and I was hiking naked every day, miles into the rainforest. And I remember feeling like the, what had I done? What have I done here? I've, I've obliterated Robin. I've killed her. Oh, wow. Oh my, I, I've killed her. I, I can't get that back now. I, I burned all my bridges. 
I can't, you know, I can't make numb what I know now. I can't undo the knowing. The, you know, the, I can't undo that. And because I know now, I know, I've seen, I went back and looked at it. I can't undo this. And now I have nothing. And one day, I had hiked up into the jungle, followed the creek, the rainforest. And I sat down, and I was sitting there, and I said, um, okay, I can handle this nothingness. It's the first real, honest, true feeling I have ever felt. It's mine. And I'm claiming it as mine. I knew it was solid, honest. I knew it through every cell of my body, my being. And it was who I was. And then I said, but am I going to always be here alone? Oh, man. And I started to cry. And I hadn't been able to cry for quite a while. And I heard a voice go through me and it said, you are not alone, child. I am here in this great nothingness. You are me. Now that you are empty, there is room for me to come in. Man, that's, that's something. That's it right there, and isn't it? That, for me, it was. And there I knew who I was. There was, well, like, I don't even know if I have words or, and I don't even know how I, I'm trying to write this. I don't even know. Because it's beyond, it's, it's, it's beyond words. I mean, words are only, at this point, I mean, listening to you talk about that, that emptying out of yourself, your identity, and then... What's what's it say in the Tao Te Ching? That which has no sub that which has no substance enters where there is no space. I mean, oh. that is what that reminds me of. I mean, it's like it permeated you. You were permeated by. It wasn't that it wasn't there, but once all the little pieces that identity start to get stripped away, what was already there begins to reveal itself can be heard oh. Oh. you know i feel yeah Go you're ahead, familiar Lord. with uh i'm sure you are familiar with buckminster fuller yeah he had a similar story to that i mean right. i i was watching a documentary many years ago about him and he was talking about you know how he you know he was going to uh commit suicide you know, he, he, he was at the end, you know, I mean, he, he was just ready. Everything he'd done, he felt like it was a failing and, and his marriage. And there was just more to him than what I guess he wanted to do more than I guess the world was ready to accept to some degree is what it felt seemed what I seemed to gather from it. But he was ready to end it all. And then he had a thought. What if I don't? What if I live, instead of killing this body, what if I live the rest of my life 
as if this me that I want to kill did die. And this oh. new me just is for humanity. And so he sort of steps out of his own way. And then all of a sudden, you know, then we start to see he, everything changed for him. I mean, and then the things he, the, his okay. concepts and his thinking, I mean, it all just shattered. And when you look at, go watch him speak some of these old archives, you can see, I mean, like there was something else going on in his perception that shifted yeah. after that. It was like that self had to be removed and something divine just woke up. I think, I mean, I know we look at him as like an architect and it was beyond that. I mean, you know, oh, uh, way I beyond, agree. you know, I agree. Wow. Wow. You, you say so many and just like <laughs> a handful of sentences. There are so many powerful things. Things. It's like I'm listening. I go, "Oh yeah, that. Oh my God, yes, that." And then you know, like I, 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 that. I gotta, I gotta say something about that. And then the next sentence, "Oh that. Oh yeah, yeah." <laughs> it's like that. You know what, Robin? I think that's just that's not me. I think that's just good synergy between two people. We're having a. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that's what happens when you get tuning forks, right? Tuning forks that vibrate together, the sound expands. I think because I'm listening to you, and I mean, really, just witnessing, listening with my witnessing with my ears right now because I can't see you, but listening right. to you talk and and tell this, it's so again, it's such a treat for me because reading your words creates one type of resonance and vibration, but like actually hearing you speak. Is going to, because I said, you know, like I told you, I haven't finished the book. So now I get to, I get to read it and apply your tones and inflections to it and your sincerity too. Uh -huh. I mean, you're, these, there's going to be moments, I'm sure, as I'm reading it and, and finishing it where I hear you, um, your like emotions come out, right? I mean, <laughs> that's going to be a wonderful experience because there's an authentic love there. You know, that's what you did. You shared your experience with us with love, you know, and now yeah. I get to have that extra layer. Hopefully people listening to this conversation will get to have that experience too. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, you know, it makes me think how it's two things. Um, one is so much is really about the energy, isn't it? Mm. You know, I, I often have said like the energetic fabric of life, you know, or like, so all of us, like just listening to you then and all along here, you know, all afternoon, it's like, I'm like, oh my God, I will never, ever forget this. I knew this. Talking with you would be a, possibly a one of life experience. I mean, this isn't, this isn't an interview, Orrin. This is a healing this is not only healing, both like making both of us, like when I say healing, it, it, it nurtures us, fosters us, makes us stronger, more mm -hmm. alive. And then that energy, we are in the world then with that added energy. And I think that is so much, it's like that is what needs to happen, the healing of the, the culture, the world, the, you know, wherever healing and 
energy is needed and life and vivacity and oh my word it's this it's this you know it's true i mean we we, we, i hope i can't remember the exact turn of phrase and i wish i could but it was from something in shantadeva's uh, way of the bodhisattva and it was something to the effect of may anyone who encounters may anyone who encounters me I'm going to mess this all up. Gosh, such a treasure and I'm going to butcher it, but it's to the effect of if someone encounters you in your life, let it be of value to them, you know? And that's a, to me, I was like, yeah, you, you can be just by being present, you know, I mean, just being present and being a good listener. And if, you know, I love listening, but I also love responding too, because I mean, we, you're a generous responder. You can tell that by talking to you. I mean, you're a very generous responder because you're listening and you share, you don't hold back from sharing a good thing. You don't hold back when you say, I want, you can tell, I want to say this to you. I want to recognize going back to that elf quest thing. I want to recognize you. And I mean, I think that that's a great gift. That's medicine, especially for aching hearts. I mean, so many people just want if if someone can see the divine in them, oh. then they could maybe begin to see the divine in themselves. And then when they start to do that, they're not they don't feel alone anymore because there's this, this poverty of isolation in a world full of people. Yeah, do you know, boy, that's a powerful thing I've been reading about that um, loneliness or isolation, you know, feeling cut off and lonely it's an it's an epidemic i think in england they appointed the uh, made a whole special minister for dealing the uh, with the the loneliness epidemic they made like a special department you know the minister of loneliness yeah and i mean to try to deal with the you know the epidemic the crisis of you know people feeling cut off from each other not just during this pandemic, it's been going on long before that, but to, and in fact, that was set up even before the pandemic to try to, you know, so people can, what are the ways we can help people connect more and feel connected? And and I love the way you just described that, like one person, you know, you said, and maybe they can feel a bit more, yeah, I forget what word you use, but kind of connected, not so lonely. And, yeah. And so then they're more apt to reach out to people. And I think there's a lot of strength for us all, healing strength in this kind of connection, you know, and in a more real connection. You know, Orrin, I actually printed this out to read back to you. And I mentioned, I think, in one of my messages it is one of the most powerful. If it's all right with you, I'm going to put it on my wall, and I'll. I'll oh, please do. You. Yeah. You wrote. Sometimes, all we need is a friend that is willing to be with us, to listen, and perhaps offer gentle, experiential guidance while we find our way. And there is. That is so loaded with so much goodness there. I mean, straight off the bat, this I feel like our psychology, our healing 
modalities all need to turn more toward and start to include more experiential sharing. You know, like mm-hmm. someone's in crisis or they're um, hurting or they are lost and say, and you listen and then they might ask you, what do you think? And, and instead of offering heavy, uh, I don't know, like, know what you would call it. I can't think of the word, like lots of information and this, you know, concepts and, you know, when this happens, this is this and, you know, structure and analysis and to offer, you know, I had an experience once and maybe, maybe this, you'll relate to this, some of my experience. And I was in, you know, crisis, and I felt whatever the person's feeling, like I felt depressed, I felt this. And it was really challenging. And then I started to think about this, and then or I had this happen or that. And it, it kind of helped a bit. You know, or I was, someone came and they helped me, they said this or, or this, I went and did this. I love those experiential stories and sharings. And I think we're, like, we've lost first so much of the oral tradition, you mm-hmm. know, that was in our early indigenous cultures. And it's a, it's a pretty grave loss, more than I think we may realize yet. But we've lost it almost in many ways throughout our culture. You know, where we we share, we don't share much of ourselves. You know, we might share, oh, and we all do that because, I mean, we read something and we share it. I mean, I've done that, you know, and it, it can be good. And, and those can be useful and really neat and help. But you, like today, you sharing all these things from your life. It's like, wow. I mean, there is so much, there's some kind of power inherent in sharing experiential guidance, as you call it. That is beautiful. I mean, you could write a book about that, Orrin. I mean, that is so you. I think <laughs> well, it's kind of me. It yeah, I mean, me. I, that's why I relate to it too. Yeah, maybe so. It's probably why I was like, it's funny you say, should say that because when I was reading your book, uh, there were several times, and I've had this thought quite a few times actually, because I, I, I enjoy writing, um, mostly just to express in the hope that someone is going to get something out of it, not for some kind of pat on the back, but to, Go, hey, maybe someone will read some words and uh, it will hit them in the right way. That's really ultimately all it boils down to for me. But when I read books like yours and others, I I have that thought. I think, you know, any of these books, any of these books could change your life. They're not ultimately on some ultimate level of ultimate reality. They're all trying to wake you up. They're trying to give you a portrait of reality that is much more uh, dynamic than what we're living in uh, under the the clock, you know? And I think 
We don't need another one. There's almost no way we need another one because there, there's already so many. I could spend the rest of my life and never run out of these. But, right. you know, it's kind of like podcasts. There's so many and, and new ones every day. And so many of us in this podcast community or world, we have conversations amongst each other. And we're like, should we keep going? I mean, there's already this one. There's already that one. You know, there's so many, but you know, there's just the one thing we all seem to come back to is there's just that off chance that, that there's going to, there's that person out there that's going to hear that thing that's going to stick with them. And so you just stick those messages in a bottle and just throw them out in the ocean. I mean, and I think books are like that too. It's like, look, I just had needs to be birthed, give birth to it, put it out there. I mean, like you and I, whenever we connected online socially, I didn't know about your book at first. You know, we were just in sort of a digital relationship. The book came second, but it's a blessing nonetheless. It's like, oh, wow, what an extra layer, you know, (laughs) to be able to to dive into your story that way. That's a beautiful thing, you know, and and the fact if you hadn't put it out there, I wouldn't be able to do that. So, yeah, it's interesting. And then, as you said at the beginning, when we first started talking, putting that book out there has drawn so many new things to you to where you can help so many people in so many different ways now that you wouldn't potentially have been able to do before. Yes. And do you know what? I think it's that. And, and you know, I really believe like I wrote because I was compelled. I couldn't, I'd written like 1500, 2000 pages when I first came out of the rainforest. I didn't write anything in there, never hardly took any photographs or anything, but I couldn't stop. It was a way of still staying connected to what the magnitude of what I had lived, experienced, while I was back out in my culture and trying to adjust. And I probably never will adjust, yet I'm learning how to love out here, how to yeah. love or that love is the connection. The love with other people is my rainforest. Oh, is- wow. Wow. Yeah. I like that. That boy. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting matter. thing. And you can go anywhere now, right? Any, I, I get this. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. rainforest is a, it is a fixed place in space and time. That experience exists in time somewhere on the timeline, but but you can touch it anywhere now. It's in you. It's it's a that's, part of you. That's exactly it. Wow, that's beautiful. You it, put, you're with like people, I, and you can it, it comes alive again. The rainforest is there when you're having connections with people. Everything you learn that's a beautiful thing. Do you know when I first came out, I thought, how am I? People would ask something, so were there snakes? And I'd tell them just some story innocently, and they'd like, you'd see them zone out. They they couldn't comprehend, like I f- couldn't first comprehend. When I went from, you know, my culture into the rainforest, it's like, I can't even comprehend this place. I, uh, You know, so many things, the fears, the joys, the beauty, the primalness, the magnitude of that. And it was so, I realized, okay, I, this isn't about them seeing me. And I, this was fairly early when I came out. And I was, what is, 
what's happening? What is this? It's about loving them right where we're all at. Mm. Just loving. And love was the connection, just like it ended up being in the rainforest. That was the connection. Loving. I fell in love with even the most deadly snakes I handled. I saw them. Oh, they're not evil. They're this beautiful little innocent life who's lived how many millions of generations here? Mm-hmm. You know, they're just, they're life. Can I look at this, hold this snake on my arm, in my hand, and see me? Mm. That's me. That's me. And when you were talking about writing, I think the greatest urge was the whole time I wrote my book was love, like some kind of compulsion. And I see that in all your work, your speaking, your interaction with people, your photography, your the the little you know two little brief lines that you put with your photos. You're about love. And so maybe we're compelled by love and we put that out. And every there's so many, we're all, in some ways we're like all the same. And yet we all get to the, what is the saying? You know, there's many paths to the top mm-hmm. of the mountain. Yeah. So someone might not relate at all to my book, but they would come and read your book. And be like, whoa, I get this guy. And there's their door. The door's open. There's their connection. It's like, okay, what is it when those those spaceships and, you know, they they have to connect in space there, the different parts. Yeah. I don't know what. Like the ports (laughs) where they connect. Yeah, the the airlocks or whatever. Yes, exactly. The airlocks. And they connect and, you know, they they dock in there and. And it's like they found their docking. Mm, wow, I like that too. You know, they're blossoming there. They can finally, you know, they found a, a home base, a docking. I like that. That kind of makes me think even, yeah, that airlock, you know, you're, the, the airlock is getting you to breathe, you know, and breath being spirit. Oh, so, yeah, oh. it's like you're lock, you're getting an airlock on something that's going to sustain you. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, so you lock in and then you ensure you have air to breathe. That's beautiful. I love that. I love the way you, like I said, you're a visionary. The way you see. It's, oh, man. And I'm happy. I know Hello, Good News listeners and friends. It's time for the Fishing for Goodies segment of Find the Good News, where I take a back seat and let the questions from the Good News Fishbowl take over the interviewer role. If you're a longtime listener, then you know that normally there was an ad right here for the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana, my hometown, and the place where I produce Find the Good News. Thanks to the devastation caused by Hurricane Laura, instead of an ad, I'm making an appeal. Hurricane Laura, the strongest hurricane to hit Louisiana in over 150 years, made landfall on the crossover hours between Wednesday, August 26th, and Thursday, August 27th. 
This monster storm made a straight path from my hometown, Sulphur, and her sister city, Lake Charles, Louisiana. I evacuated that Wednesday evening ahead of the storm and returned the Friday after, and one of the most heartbreaking things I saw was the devastation of our historic treasure, the Brimstone Museum. Trying to describe the scale of the damage to Southwest Louisiana escapes words. Every resource imaginable was brought to its knees. Utilities, water, gas, food, shelter, and medical. Life instantly returned to a cycle of shoring up supplies to survive the coming heat, humidity, stabilization, and recovery. While national news media has moved on, the multi-layered human suffering remains, especially for our poorer communities made even more vulnerable in the aftermath of this savage storm. The road to recovery will be long, and many of the decisions and actions of our national, regional, and local politicians could be put under well-deserved scrutiny at this time. But what can't be criticized is the goodwill, mercy, compassion, tenderness, and drive to help that we've seen from local and regional volunteers. Each day they bring hot food, water, cleaning supplies, tarps, gasoline, and set up every single day in parking lots serving from sunrise to dusk. One particular organization, Care Help of Sulphur, mobilized immediately, volunteers selflessly putting their own needs aside to care for the citizens of Sulphur with all of their varied needs. I've put a link to the website of Care Help of Sulphur on my website, as well as some reflections and links photos, and video about what we are facing right here in Sulphur, Louisiana, the home of Find the Good News. You can find that at findthegood.news slash donate. That's findthegood.news slash donate. The link is also in this episode's show notes. In fact, this episode was produced on power provided by the loving gifts and efforts of this podcast guests and listeners. Any help offered to Care Help of Sulphur or find the good news in the aftermath of Hurricane Laura is deeply appreciated. Brimstone Museum will be saved and hold this spot once again, someday. Care Help will continue to serve the people of this city. Good people will always rise up to do good works when there is a need. Now. Let's take that dive in the fishbowl. The last part of this show, we call it, I call it fishing for goodies. And what I have, and you can't see this, but it's a fishbowl that is filled with questions that I've put in here and that many of my past guests have put in here and that listeners have put in here. And so what I've done traditionally with each guest at the end of our conversation is I pull three questions out of here and we just let the universe pick them, so to speak, and see what comes out. And we'll have a little conversation about these questions. Okay. So here's, would you like to do? Yeah. Okay. I'd love it. If you're willing to do it, let's do oh, it. Oh yeah. If All I right. can, if I can answer, I'll just say pass. <laughs> They're not too bad. So let's see. I'm going to go ahead and reach in here and let's see what we got. So the first question is, okay, this is a good one. And we know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Can people change? Oh, absolutely. I I, I mean, people will tell me all the time, well, you know, so-and-so, they aren't going to change. No, they won't change. I, I I just I can't even find that in my body in my being. It may not be in my desired time frame, 
But life is not static. It isn't. It's, 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 it's kind of flow is to change. And it may not be in someone to the extent that, this is terrible to say, that I would like to see, or I, you know, if I get my ego in there, that I think they should, which is ridiculous. But I believe we all are in motion, emotion. Emotion, and that's why I love emotions. Yeah, me too. Because they're fluid, they're moving, they're moving. And it's why I encourage people can have any emotion with me, and I'm not even anger. I don't care. They could even say, Can I vent my hate? Sure, knock yourself out. I'll just sit here. Go for it. And I have seen people even attack their emotions or approach is a better word, approach their emotions from hate until they're just down on their hands and knees sobbing their eyes out because they were allowed to follow that. Mm. To allow to start where they are at. And there is unbelievable beauty in that. That was me. That was me one time. I allowed whatever was. My only rule is I don't emotionally or physically hurt another person. Oh, wow. That's, was, that's your line. That's the, I like that. That's, that's beautiful. You've set a parameter, you know, you've yeah. set your own boundary and what a good one I mean, to say that. I mean, yeah. to say, look, I, I will not hurt you. We may go a lot of places, yeah. but I'm not going to hurt you. Absolutely. And so it allows for a more, holistic experience for people to start where honestly, be honest, not like this is what's happening, but I shouldn't have that. So I should start over here. That doesn't really nurture change. You know, I haven't found that not in myself or when I've witnessed others, you know, it's like getting, being able to start right where we're at, you know, I, I'm very comfortable with that in other people, you know, and find beauty in it all and sort of a watching the unfolding of the human spirit or soul. I love that. I mean, because we all really are, right? I mean, I would love to, on one hand, there's like this part of me that sometimes says, oh, if you would have just never taken any side roads when you had your initial awakenings experience, then you would be a different person. You'd be doing something different with, for the world. There's all these what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. Oh yes. I, I, I can have those too. But you know, like without those side roads, I mean, who knows what it takes for a plant to unfold. I mean, maybe it needed those things. Maybe I needed those side roads. Maybe I have, uh, for me to bloom, you know, I mean, there's some things that has bloomed through their whole lives and they bloom once. I mean, maybe that's what it is and that's okay. You know, we're all different in that regard. I mean, we have to go through what we're going through. I say have to, we go through what we go through. I know and, what you mean. And if we use it the right way, it's uh, a pruning, I guess, to some degree. You know, when you were saying that about, yes, exactly. And about the side roads and, I, I teared up because it felt 
And when you're saying, you know, just being that honest, like, you know, oh, you know, I had these side roads and, you know, well, maybe if I hadn't taken the side roads and I suppose someone could say, oh, well, you have regrets or whatever. Yeah, I, I can feel regret. But when I really go back and look and get past kind of maybe that kind of lump of social conditioning, but I allow myself all those feelings, even regrets, I allow myself to head right into them. But I loved what you were saying because it's compassionate. We are human and we can be messy and confused. And, you know, we don't, how can we know what we don't know? I mean, (laughs) I love that. That's right. Right. You know, I mean, and I love, or I love, love, love people that have had the side roads and the, you know, it's like people were going back to Chris, um, into the wild there and, you know, his story into Alaska there. And people, some people were judging. It's like, I love that guy. I still feel him today. I, I can talk to him sometimes and say, I see you, Chris. I see you. You know, it's interesting. So many, this is such an interesting thing. I mean, that we're talking about this again, because I, I probably glazed over my real true feelings about him by not, but you went into them. I mean, just by being authentic because I, the truth of the matter is, yes, I agree with what you just said wholeheartedly. Like I, I don't even know how to express it. I mean, I've, my wife and I've had this conversation many times, but you know, I think there's many things where Chris's spirit of whoever he was is almost entangled with so many of these projects that have surrounded him and his story. And it's touched so many lives. I mean, even just the soundtrack to the movie, I was watching an interview with uh, Eddie Vedder and he said in that interview, it was on the, it was, he sat down and wrote all of those songs at once. And he said, it was like, it just, came to him. He said, I've never had an experience like that before. So I just sat oh, down. Lord. I didn't have it. There was no, it was effortless. I just sat down with my guitar and I started writing and they all just came out. When you listen to that soundtrack, it's like Chris is in it. He's in the music, you yeah. know? So I get what you're saying. I mean, a hundred percent, there's something happens when a being just is who they are. Yeah. Um, and they're not ashamed and he got to that point in it, you know, where here was nothing left. I mean, he was only who he could be in front of God and no one else, you know? I mean, it was just him and nature and himself and God. That was it. I mean, it's all alone. Something has oh. to happen, you know? You are completely stripped away from all, all the things that have made you uh, a somebody to people. Yeah. And then that that time it's almost like like you said between him and God and it's like almost like a starburst you know his whole being just expands and it's so he acted with such courage and I don't mean just that he went to a remote area but courage that he stepped out of he braved breaking convention, breaking conditioning, 
you know, breaking the rules. You know, I mean, that was huge. It upset people and family and, I mean, their friends. And, I mean, just like to break those kind of ties. And not with any intention to hurt anybody. Mm, right. But it's almost like if I don't, I will die. I yeah. relate to that. That was me. I get that. I mean, I, and you know, maybe I don't even know if this is unpopular or popular or who this resonates with out there, but the truth of the matter is it's very similar to the way I feel about Jesus. I mean, it's very, very much in the same concept. I mean, I, I, I go, okay, yes. Would I, would it be, would Chris's sister, just love for him to be able to hold her children and watch them grow up and, and play on the beach. Yes, absolutely. Would we love it? Would Jesus's disciples have loved for him to just have a meal with them and walk with them and laugh with them and sleep under olive trees with them? Yes, absolutely. But then that isn't what happened. He became something else completely oh. bigger and different. And so that leaves it to Chris. And it's kind of goes back to what my friend had said in that inscription. He became sort of like a sacrifice. So now we have to go. He did this for us in some strange way. And so now when we go enjoy nature, we have to remember that we can go home because he didn't and we have to pay attention when we're out there and it's the same way i feel about jesus it's like yeah he's not here his hands aren't here his feet aren't here he can't yeah. hold you know he can't feed the homeless and clothe the naked but i can yeah, right. i can do that and so you know it's like that's the mystical bigger that these people become i mean they get fused with something with reality in a whole nother way because yeah. of their sacrifice and, that is beyond what we can understand. And they, what was that? I'm sorry, Orin. No, no, no. I mean, no, that was it. That was, it was just a trail off. I mean, but yeah, you, it spreads as you were saying, go on, please. Cause yeah, I think that's like, this is really profound. My word. I, I love your, Oh, the depth of your feeling and seeing. And I mean, it's so far beyond just thought. I mean, Whoa. I mean, this is incredible what you're saying. This is exactly how I experienced it when I read that. And then I saw the movie. And it was just like, oh, my word. Like when I said it was like a starburst and all this light went out everywhere for people, for everyone. Like like this huge message, messages even, you know. And he died and left a gift. Yeah. He left a gift. And it was almost way more powerful. And I don't wish anyone death that way or any way. I don't wish death on anyone. But it was all, like you said, he almost sacrificed his life and said, I'm going to do this. Like people to leave kind of like a wake up call to help people wake up on a big planetary way in a big way. Mm. And I felt that when I read that. It's like, oh, no, this this guy is not to be judged. This is, oh, my word, the magnitude of this, what he's done for himself, for the world, for, I mean, for me, it was huge. 
It was sure. huge. Well, I mean, not it's not to weird. further beat that that connection to Christ to death, but I mean, even if we even just use the biblical scriptures as a reference for that, I mean, you know, Chris wanted to go home. He had his moment of despair. I mean, he knew his death was coming, you know, he, and there probably, you know, I get the impression that there was some regret. I mean, if you go read some of his journal entries that, Oh God, I want to be with people that I, I do want to be with my family for all its faults. We see the same exact thing in scriptures and in biblical scriptures where Christ says, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? You know, like, you know, there's a moment there where you do get the feeling like he, I mean, I'm sorry to be crass, but it's like a, oh my God, I'm all alone in this one moment. I'm all alone. I'm in despair for a moment. I've, I'm afraid. Do you know, and I think out of that, Lauren, oh, it's not crass at all. It's beautiful. And for me, out of that, oh, my God, I'm alone. And realizing how alone I was, even, I mean, Ian saw what I'd been through. Mm. But he'd say, I can't feel it, but I know it's it's huge. I, I do see. But I felt, even from him, from everything, so alone. But like you were saying with Christ, you know, about being forsaken, and then with Chris, knowing, you know. And out of that, for me, was born longing. And so from that place of, like, regret, that's why allowing regrets, allowing them with beauty and honor and grace and embracing them and allowing ourselves to feel them, they can give birth to longing. And for me, it was like I didn't have the words at the time, but longing mm-hmm. for to go home, you know, to go and not not home to my family. This was a a bigger home, something I had lost, mm. you know, home like God, you know, uh, uh, the, the mystery, the you know, the this vast. Um, cosmic intelligence, that that's too linear saying it that way, but kind of God or the, the just, for me, it gave birth to longing. And that's a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Because that longing for me was like a, a TV antenna going up. Mm. And then the God, the great mystery. You know, it, it comes right in there. Comes, <sighs> speaks to our longing. It's like a magnet. I, for me, my longing is a magnet for the great mystery for God. I love this. That's I resonate with that a hundred percent. I do. It's uh, it's I, I say that because it's been my experience too. That longing, because that sometimes is where there's like this well of emotion that exists and it's got sorrow in it, but it's also got joy in it too. It's like an elixir and you know, it it makes me weep. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's like I I weep because I long for it and yet it's as close. It's closer than my own breath. It's weird because it's like this, you want to, you, it's almost like there's this feeling that it's, 
something yet to be obtained, but yet it's in that moment of longing where you are with it. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery for sure. You know? Oh, that's beautiful. In that moment of longing, you are with it. Absolutely. And this is why I feel our, our regrets. We can't dishonor them. They aren't to be, you know, and I see sometimes in the culture, people will say, Oh, so you have regrets. Do you like, it's something to be got over something to be done away with or exercised out of us or, you know, no. Yes. I have regrets. Oh yeah. I mean, look, Robert, I'm, I'm hearing you say that. And I, I have one, I have a regret that, uh, perhaps someday it may be rectified in this lifetime potentially, but it may not be. And it causes me great pain, but it's, but I only, just as you said, you go in the forest and you weep and wail. I I do this over this one regret from time to time. And it is like, again, I don't know if there were any other word. It's like the release of a sneeze or almost orgasmic to some degree because the wailing, it's like, it's like forgiveness. That's the only thing I can think of is like those moments are like being healed, even though I'm wailing and weeping and in pain, but it's coming out and it comes out and there's some like a, a feeling of release. And I know that it will come again. And it's almost yeah. like it's trying to, it's not trying to be taken from me actually. Somewhere in the midst of that, that's when I can, I don't think about the release as the divine part. Oddly enough, in my memory, when I think of it, the part that's the most attractive is actually the wailing. Oh, yes, I know. It's weird. I don't know how to say it any other way. Oh, I know. You said it so beautifully. I really feel... Like you said, in there you are wailing or, you know, crying. And I've even, like for myself, mine often started out as rage, you know. And, mm. and then I fall to my knees and that would go to sobbing and wailing. And and and, and there was the healing. Mm-hmm. That is the healing. And then I've even felt, pondered this at times, Orn. And I totally understand what you're saying. It is beautiful. It is so magnificent. I mean, it's. Wow, I'm just, I'll never get over this conversation ever. But, you know, I feel like there's another thing you said, you know, and then it comes up again. Like I, you know, and one day I thought, I remember I have something in my life, things, you know, some one that's more, that's larger than another. But, and I, one day I, I thought I was, going to sleep and I thought so I keep having this I must you know maybe this was years back I must not be really dealing with it somehow and then I heard this voice say no it will always be there as a guide Mm. you do not want to lose this there is nothing to get over get rid of this is a guide you want to be able to feel this Mm. And so it made me, oh, it's like a guide. Like, so I know kind of, and I don't usually use these words, but kind of right from wrong, or I can have values or morals or, or value things or see what, how I do want to be or how to behave or how things 
I do want to do things. So that is alive there as a, almost like a living intelligence. And to feel that at that depth, that wailing depth, it's like, okay, I'm human, I'm alive. And now I know, I know from this, thank you. Thank you for showing me, you know, what I don't want to do and what I do want to do. Man, that's wonderful. Kind of like a teacher or a guide that Mm -hmm. goes through my life through me, you know, throughout my life with me and pops up every now and then. It's a reminder. You know, this is what I love about these fishbowl questions because they, they are catalysts for these incredible, <laughs> they're like seeds that just blossom into these wonderful conversations because they, they start somewhere and then they just keep expanding into new territory. And I love it because, I mean, we wouldn't have had, potentially wouldn't have talked about some of these things, you know, without that question. No, it's a great idea. All right. You want, you ready for your next question? Sure. Okay. <laughs> This one is going to, it's so funny because it has the word simple in it, but I can't imagine the answer to this is simple, but let's just see. What is the simplest truth you can express in words? I'll just go with the one that comes off the top of my head. There is no death. Oh, love that. And I'm not, I don't know why that one came, but I looked kind of the deepest into me. Well, you know what? I'm going to ask you your third question because that's so odd that that's your answer to that question. Because your third question that I pulled says, and I hold on before I ask you this question, uh, I think we should, well, I'll ask the question. Let me just ask it. If you knew you would die tomorrow, would you feel cheated today? I might have not regrets of what I didn't do, but, oh, there's so much more I want to live. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, like, I love life. And what I feel cheated. No, because although I have been through so much in my life, you know, like in the trenches, man. I mean, just, it's why people can tell me anything and it doesn't even bother me. They can have any emotion in it. And I'm just like, Oh, this is life. Wow. It's life. You make me feel. I love you for that. I don't care. Even if they're angry, they're raging about something. It's like, wow, you're alive. Wow. That's really something special. That's not something everybody can say. I mean, not everybody has not worked through their own stuff enough to get to that point where they can say that. You know, really, I mean, that's something very special. That's a very rare uh, group of people that you are a part of that have been able to experience that place. You know, I think it's beautiful. Oh, that's so 
dear that you reflect that back to me. I just, you know, you can live something and just, it's such a part of you. You don't really, you don't think about it. You just experience who you Mm -hmm. are, you know? Yeah. And I like to embrace. And that was, oh, or being in the wild like that. Nature just embraces everything we are with so much compassion that it's almost like any regret you have just vaporized. You're so loved. And so in my life now, I really work at or remind myself. I can't say work it because I wouldn't know what that means. But I remind myself all the time, Robin, embrace it all. You wouldn't be who you are without it. You wouldn't be able to give space, like this quote that I love of yours, willing to be with, to listen, and offer gentle experiential guidance. I wouldn't be able to do any of that. Any of that. And it comes like, just like rain. It's as easy as rain falling from the sky. And that is probably the part of me I love the most. And it's where my love for humanity comes from. I I can just embrace and want to embrace them, everything around me. That's a beautiful gift to be given, even though it... So, so people have never experienced that broad of a feeling of love of compassion for people that they haven't met that gets into some really mystical territory that a lot of folks don't get to experience or they haven't allowed themselves to experience a weeping and a mourning and a joy and a an almost overwhelming love for people and creatures for the whole world you know and the fact that you're willing to share that so openly you know, oh. that it gives people a chance to see what it looks like. You know, I mean, oh, it's easy what? for us to love the people near us and dear to us and our pets and, and not expand our, <laughs> and our coworkers maybe, and not expand it beyond that, you know, to get into the, the people that we don't know that we can only imagine or to the ones we see at a distance, you know, but to actually have a heart big enough to do that. I mean, it's going to weep because it's, it gets stretched to some degree. That's beautiful. Um, and the way you were putting like, like pearls on a string, you said the, the weeping, the wailing, the joy, the, and you, you listed all these, different emotions, the whole kind of range of them. And I had this feeling like while you were talking, I mean, I started to tear up again. It was so beautiful. And I thought, oh, wow. In Orin's presence, I don't feel any regrets because everything of me can be embraced. And so then I immediately had this thought, oh, Maybe that's more of a cultural thing. There's an energy, it can be maybe a potential cultural energy that, number one, we shouldn't have regrets. You know, kind of live a perfect life without regrets, which, hell, I've never been able to do that. Um, 
All right, me either. <laughs> me. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I mean, okay, you can kiss me goodbye. You know, I'm I'm kicked off the team here. You know, but it's like, and then I thought, so maybe it's what, which hand is holding us? You know, which is cradling us? Mm. And like in your hand, the hand that you put out to cradle people, everything, I feel my own divinity, my own innate God-given perfection, even amidst all my imperfect, supposed imperfections. You know, the things I did that, you know, we might regret the things that might hurt another person, the times where we, you know, allowed someone else to hurt us or didn't dare speak up, or the times that, I mean, any number of situations. Mm-hmm. And like the hand that you hold out, oh my word, I just breathe so deep. And none of it matters. It's I start to see my own beauty, my own wholeness and I and so maybe we have to be aware of that what hand is holding us and even a hand as vast Mm. as a culture yes god that's beautiful yes what hand is holding us even so vast as a culture that that's true I mean it really is because we're not really we're you know we're talking about regrets and things like that and how we say we're saying you know no don't don't get rid of them because sometimes they're the very, you know, touchstone that gets you back into the right space that yeah. you need to be in. And we don't live in a culture that tells us to do that at all. We live in a culture that tells us to relive our sins and to uh, oh, suffer for our regrets and to, for them to be dredged up and to be used, weaponized against us and to weaponize them against others and, uh, yeah, it's it's not not the hand that's raising us, and you know that's the thing is it could be, you know, but it would take us yeah. doing it. I mean, collectively being uh, just a more nurturing nest, really building a nest of of love for people to live in. Yes, and it's amazing. I feel this when we talk about change. Going back to the first question, I mean, there are. You know, I, I've, I've dabbled in back over the years in various environmental work and for, for helping to protect areas of the earth that were, you know, virgin and untouched and were going to be developed and whatever. But anyway, so there can be practical things we do to bring about change. But I think on a really large scale, we forget that the large scale can actually of change can be created one person literally at a time. Mm, yeah. What you yeah. are doing is so vital. I mean, even if you were to stop your podcast, I would I would want to see you. I mean, unless, you know, you needed to go off and retreat and do your own journey somewhere, then I would totally be supportive of that. But in terms of your work, oh my, it's not even your work, it's who you are, Orrin. I would hate to see this not be out in the world. You are, oh my gosh, you're beyond a, um, one of those megaphones. I mean, you're like, 
I mean, my word. And it's not, it's what you're saying is so, so, so powerful. I mean, I've got to connect you with all the people on my Facebook page. They are going to just flip out over you. Oh, (laughs) it's hard for me to hear a lot of that. I mean, I, I'm, you know, so, uh, ordinary and, uh, nobody really. And I, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I mean, I was actually today driving around, uh, with my son, we had to go take care of some errands this morning. And I had the thought, I was like, you know, to be nobody's kind of a beautiful thing. It's kind of a beautiful thing because when you're nobody, you can be with everybody. I mean, everybody's nobody and we all, but it's the illusion is when we think we're, somebody really special or really important, <laughs> you know, and that we should get special treatment um, and, and be given special, uh, a special seat at the table, you know? And uh, yeah, we're really, we're all just outside of the trappings. I mean, we're all just kind of nobody and nature will tell us that for sure. And that's kind of what I love about uh, your book too. Nature yeah. reminds us that it, because it's, it is indifferent. It's indifferent yeah. to what I believe. It's indifferent to the job I have. It's indifferent to oh, yeah. my awards and my accolades and all the letters after my yeah. name and all that kind of stuff. It does, it's indifferent to whether I'm ordained or whether I'm oh, just yeah. a layman. It's indifferent to whether I'm a man or a woman. You know, it just doesn't care. And so you get to be <laughs> just yourself. I know. I love that. You know, it's just. So amazing, just, and that's what gives you the room to just be, finally. Yeah. You know, though you do have a, such a stunning healing force that I think when I say, I know that the people on my page, I have been so blessed. They are just so loving and loving and respectful to each other and Oh my word, I, I can hardly believe it. It's like a it's been a whole healing experience for me. This has been you a know, wonderful that. talk. I've enjoyed every minute of this conversation. We we talked about things I didn't expect we would talk about. I really didn't have any major expectations. You know, I, I just like to let things go where they're gonna go. And they really went some wonderful places. I think that there are definitely gonna be some folks who will find this podcast and get something out of it. Before we wrap up, though, I do have one last question, and it's the last question I ask every guest. Uh, And it sort of got it was sort of born out of something that I noticed in my family a couple of years ago. I noticed that at the end of the day, I would say, you know, how was your day, which really opened the door for um, some negativity. It might be a bad day at school, bad day at work. And I, I noticed that all of us just generally and maybe maybe it's just my family. I don't know. But I did notice this with other people as well, that generally, if we were telling the truth, we would linger on the negative more than the positive. So I would change just one word. I said, and from now on, I'm just going to ask, did anything good happen today to maybe generate a little more thought on our blessings instead of the bad things? So that's the question I ask. Uh, did anything good happen today? Oh, my word. <laughs> I feel like, well, I mean, I got up, I'm alive. Oh, my word, I walked barefoot, you know, for a couple miles. 
And then I had this amazing, it's like I've met, how do I say this? You know, I've met another self. Mm. And not that you're not your own. But I have met absolutely one of the most amazing human beings that I have ever met on this planet. And I can say that with absolute 100% honesty and sincerity. When I say this is not something I'll forget, I I will never forever forget this talk. I mean, never. That is a very humbling, uh, humbling thing to hear. You know, I, uh, I, I get as much out of these conversations as anybody that I've talked to. And I have always felt that perhaps I even get a little bit more in the sense that, you know, I get to, I get to have it and then I get to go back and listen to it again. And then I get to reflect on it before I share it, you know? So there's a lot of time I get to spend outside of the conversation. And then over the course of sharing these talks, I get to interact with the listeners to some degree. So there's like all these layers of uh, reward that come out of doing that. But I don't ever, I've never, you know, it's just really, I don't ever, I'm kind of word speechless uh, to hear, hear that. You know, I really am. It's touching and I very grateful for your time, honestly, and your sincerity and for you and not just for this conversation, but for you, you know, sharing all in the rawness so far. Again, I haven't finished the book, but I can tell that it's it's authentic and raw and it's not trying to be something that it's not. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. You know. I'll I'll let you go, but I want to say this. You you create a space, Orin, and I mean this. And everything I've said to you, I could hardly get on here soon enough with you to tell you what I see, what I feel in you. It was like, I was so excited. And like, and we hadn't even talked yet. And I saw that in you. Oh, man, this guy, he's got to be tall. I mean, this is the things that he's saying that he said. You don't just put that out and just like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) I mean, this is like, oh, my word. And, And then to be, I feel like I got more out of this. You know, like you've given me a gift. This is like. A thousand Christmases or something. And I want to say, do you see? And then I have to say to myself, do I see? And remember to try and see myself. Allow myself sometimes. Yeah. Now, that's a hard thing. I think that there is a, there's something I wrote in my journal many years ago. It was, I was soaking in a hot bath one night where sometimes that's where things just come, you know? Yeah. And and I kept coming in these hot baths. I was thinking about the people I admire, you know, the, the historical people and, and, and philosophers and, and religious figures and, and whatever they may be. 
just the varied people. And I thought, you know, my masters are low and pitiful. My masters are weak. My masters know the way through the narrow gate. And it just kept sort of coming around again and again. And so I wrote it down. And I think to some people, they hear that my masters are low and pitiful. My masters are weak. Oh, my masters are foolish. My masters know the way through the narrow gate. And they're like, well, that doesn't sound like anybody I'd want to follow. And I think perhaps that's maybe why I think humility is such a important thing. I find that it's just those beings it's, it's uh, that I tend to be attracted to are like that. They're just, they take the lowest place. They stand at the back of the line. They'll still lead, you know, they still teach, but they, they're always low and they always take that. They give first, you know, and they don't look for rewards or photo ops. And I guess that's for me, a big important thing. I've never, and, and I guess it maybe aligns with who I, Perhaps it's just shyness, so it's hard for me to always take a compliment. <laughs> I guess is where I'm uh, getting at with that. I just, it's uh, not by me know, my nature. I, I don't do well with it because I, I find a, uh, I get scared of that kind of thing. Oh, that's all right because I can feel in you that it still goes in. You're so open, and you're, I mean, you're beyond sincere. You're, oh, you're, you're living. You're living your truth in just simple moment to simple moment. Wow. And that creates such a space. I mean, you are a hand that, oh, yeah, yeah. The hand you hold out to hold is just wide open, no judgment. It's real. It's honest. It's humble. And, I mean, just the things you share, like about regrets and that. It's wow, wow. There's so much space. People can fall into it. You know, people that are wanting to, ready to fall in, to let go and fall in. They fall in to that kind of space. It's like you were saying, nature. Yeah. You know, it's just there. It just is. No judgment. So, Robin, speaking of falling in, if people want to kind of get all in with what you have going on, what is the best way for them to do that? Do you have a website that you like for people to go oh, to yeah. or? Yeah, my website is just robineaston.com. Okay. So your name, that's easy enough. Yeah. And then my Facebook page. And right now that's kind of, I'm not on a lot of um, social media, but Facebook I am right now. I'm on Twitter. I don't use it as much, but probably find me on Facebook or um, my website. Yeah. That's where I found your Facebook. And then I, I, in fact, I'm actually going to go check out your website cause you can get the book there too, right? Yes. There's a, on the menu bar, you can, I think it says Robin's book. And then there's another page that says naked and Eden reviews. I think, I think that's the title of the page. And those two pages are about the book. And you can link from the Robin's book page, you can go directly to Amazon and get the Kindle and the um, paperback now because my publishers had put it out in um, hardcover and it was 
it was not affordable. And they had the Kindle way up there. So I made the book, you know, more affordable. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, my copy I is digital. I'm re- I bought it through Apple Books. So I've been reading it on my iPad. But oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good read. I mean, it's uh, what I love. I, I tend I like to read books about philosophy and religion and spirituality, things like that. I mean, from all all different, I guess, veins. But I find with this book, it's been a good break because it is that, but it's a story. And it's been a while for me since I've read a good story. And like right out the gate, I was like, oh, she's putting the textures in here. And that was drawing me in. Like I could, I was in your space, you know what I mean? Like as I'm reading it, which I thought (laughs) that's always good for me with a book. I'm like, oh, I'm in it now. I can feel it. I can smell it and taste it. And that, that's, it's got that quality to it for sure. So that's wonderful. I'm more thankful every moment that I found. Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Robin Easton. If you'd like to experience Robin's book, Naked in Eden, make sure to visit the links in the show notes. If you found something of use in this conversation, consider visiting findthegood.news donate, where you can help this mission and organizations working to help the victims of Hurricane Laura. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news beacon.